cross has become controversial in our culture. Why? Because the message of the cross is very clear. Our sin is more serious than we think. But God's love for us is deeper than we could ever imagine. The cross is where love and justice meet at the person of Jesus Christ. Have you trusted in the finished work of Christ on the cross? Have you believed on him for your salvation? Well, we're gonna explore Jesus's passion, his death on the cross, and what it means to us. That's today on Walk in Truth. Welcome to Walk in Truth with Michael Lance. Walk in Truth is a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. Pilate is, the praetorium is being mentioned here, and Pilate is interacting with Jesus. Let's go to John 18, and we'll pick it up at verse 33. Pilate is in an area that would be called the Judgment Hall, and verse 2 of Mark 15 has Pilate's question, are you the king of the Jews? John gives us a little bit more detail. In verse 33 of John 18, Pilate therefore entered again into the praetorium, summoned Jesus and said to him, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, are you saying this on your own initiative or did others tell you about me? John 18, 35. Pilate answered, I am not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and the chief priest delivered you up to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting, that I might not be delivered up to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. Pilate therefore said to him, so you are a king? Jesus had been beaten and probably wasn't terribly impressive at this point. Jesus answered, you say correctly that I am a king. For this I have been born and for this I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Pilate said to him in these famous words, What is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no guilt in him. Now the reason he had to go in and out is because the Jews refused to go into this place because they didn't want to be defiled and they wanted to be able to eat the Passover. They didn't want to go into a Gentile residence. Ironic, isn't it? They're about to kill the Son of God bring false charges against him, defile themselves in every way, morally speaking, that we could think of, yet they didn't want to enter into a, into a building that they might not be defiled. They were so concerned about eating a Passover meal while they were killing the Passover lamb. Incredible. But this is how bad it had gotten for the religious leadership. They would strain at a gnat and swallow a camel. They were so lost in their tradition, they couldn't even see the truth right in front of them. Interestingly enough, if you turn back to Mark 15, Pontius Pilate, we do know a little bit, we have some tradition, it comes from Eusebius, and Eusebius, who's writing a, a several centuries later, says that Pontius Pilate had a, a turn in his career some years later, and, and Pontius Pilate had had a difficult time ruling over Judea and so forth, and I'll mention a few things in a moment. But the evidence that we have is that Pontius Pilate, just a few years after his interaction with Jesus Christ, committed suicide. I want you to think about that. Here's a man who had the one who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life right in front of him. And yet, he said, what is truth? And then the evidence is that he just simply walked away. 
Did he think about this anymore? I have no idea, but he ends his life apparently in a suicide, and he lived in a culture very much like the Greek pantheon where they had gods and goddesses for everything. The gods and goddesses fought. You had to appease them, and Pilate, I think, was just a cynic. He wasn't an atheist. He lived in a culture where people believed stuff about false gods, but for him, he was confused. He's like, what is truth? Which, which is the right God? Who knows what this stuff is? Here's a man living in cultured opulence, but he's lost. But Jesus has caught his attention. And Pilate questioned him, Mark 15, too, are you the king of the Jews? And answering, he said to him, it is as you say. When Jesus was asked if he was this king, Jesus did say, I am this king. Pilate uh, apparently uh, married into this position by marrying a woman named Claudia Procula, who was the granddaughter of the Emperor Augustus. He moved into this political position of power, and the people who witnessed Pilate's life and knew things about him said that he was an unflexible guy. He was inflexible, pretty mean. He had no problem putting people to death on the spot. He was kind of this relentless, mean guy. But when he interacts with Jesus, he seems to know that something's going on, that there's something deeper here. He had made all kinds of religious uh, or, you know, political problems uh, for the Jews. He brought banners into the holy city, and the Jews thought that that was like a, 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 an act of paganism or an act of idolatry. He killed people while they were in the middle of worship to get back at some people. He took out of the Corbin treasury to build an aqueduct in Rome or in, uh, in the city. And so just all kinds of things that he did. And as I mentioned, it looks like he ended his life a few years later in suicide. And so Jesus is before Pilate, and the chief priests are there, verse 3, Mark 15, and they began to accuse him harshly. Mark does not give us the details, but we have them in Luke 23. Write down verse 2 and 5 through 7. I'll just give you what they say. They began to accuse him. They said, we have found this man misleading our nation. He forbids people to pay taxes to Caesar, and he says that he himself is Christ a king. They kept insisting, saying, he stirs up the people, teaching all over Judea, starting from Galilee, even as far as this place. This man, now, was any of this true? Of course, they were all, it was a pack of lies. And they knew that they were lies. But the subject of Galilee came up, and Pilate had an epiphany. He went, oh, he's a Galilean? Oh, I'll send him to Herod. He's under Herod's jurisdiction. And so all of a sudden, the other gospel writers fill in the blanks, and Jesus was sent to Herod. And remember, Herod was excited. Do you remember this? Herod was like, oh, I want to see him. Maybe he'll do a trick. Maybe he'll do a miracle in front of me. And Jesus came to Pilate, and Pilate or Herod, and Herod questioned him, and Jesus never spoke to him once. He never said a word to him. He wouldn't even allow Herod to hear his voice. Regal silence is all Herod got. Herod sends him back to Pilate, says, I found nothing deserving of death in this man, and back to Pilate, Jesus went. And so here's what happens. Pilate was questioning him again, verse 4, Mark 15, and he said, Do you make no answer? See how many charges they bring against you. But Jesus made no further answer so that Pilate was amazed. 
Now, Jesus did answer questions about his identity. In the earlier chapter, chapter 14, 16, 61 and 62, he answers the high priest's question, are you the son of the blessed one? He answers Pilate's question about his identity, but he did not answer any of the questions about it, the false charges. He wouldn't even go there. He wouldn't try to defend himself. Now, if you were in that position and you knew a cross was ahead of you, if you give the wrong answer, would you stay silent? What, what Pilate was used to was people begging and pleading for their lives. No, that's false. I never did that. Here's my mom and my brothers to give testimony. No, please hear me. He was so used to people arguing and groveling and pleading and crying. And Jesus, though innocent, does not respond to one charge. And that's why Pilate was amazed. I'm sure Pilate was prepared for all the typical maneuverings that a person would give in this kind of situation. And, you know, we have a tough time when someone's got a story half wrong. We want to correct them before they finish a sentence. No, 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 no. You, you got it wrong, man. And Jesus wouldn't even respond to one thing. He was silent as a sheep is silent before it shears. And so Pilate was amazed and the feast was here. It was the Passover. And at the feast, he used to release, verse 6, for them, any one prisoner whom they requested. They had an annual thing that they did. And Pilate, in a moment of graciousness, you could say from the governor, he would release a prisoner. And he would let them name the prisoner. So in the meantime, as we read the other gospel writers, we, we find out that there's some other things happening. In Matthew's gospel, we hear that Pilate's wife has had a dream she said, I've suffered many things because of this man in a dream last night. Have nothing to do with this righteous man. She sends him a note. She warns Pilate, I've had a premonition. I've had a dream. Don't mess around with this. So Pilate wants to get away. No less than five times during these proceedings, Pilate says, I find no guilt in this man. But they would not hear it. And so now it's come up that they have this annual thing where they release a prisoner and they had a man named Barabbas. He had been in prison with the insurrectionists, one of these uprisings that would happen quite commonly. He'd committed murder and insurrection. Everybody look at verse 7 in your Bible. See the name Barabbas. There's two words there that are going to be familiar to you. It's the word bar. It's the word for son. And Abba is the word for father. So Barabbas' name, when you translate it, means son of the father. There's some early manuscripts that say that Barabbas' name was actually Jesus. The New English Bible uh, translates a verse in Matthew that says he was named Jesus Barabbas. Now, don't let that throw you off. Jesus was a very common name in the day. You were really known by whose son you were. So Jesus Barabbas, if that was indeed his name, means Jesus, son of the Father. Now get this. The people, as you well know, are going to end up asking for Barabbas to be released, who's a murderer and an insurrectionist, and ask for Jesus, the true son of the Father, to be crucified. Why do they do that? Well, there were people that were there, and I'm sure they were there with signs, release Barabbas. I'm sure he was a hero to them. He was a, he was a political revolutionary. He was a, a, a man of the nation. He was doing something to help the nation, at least. So the people were thinking, this guy's a hero. He's a patriot. We want him released. And get this, Barabbas becomes a type of a replacement Messiah. He's a Messiah made in our image. Jesus Christ rides in on a colt, not a war horse. He's coming to die on a cross. No, no, no. We want a patriot. 
So that's part of the reason why they asked for Barabbas. But the interesting play, poetry, if you will, is that the name means son of the father. In fact, his name may have been Jesus. Jesus bar Abbas. And in our world, isn't it true that so many people, they want a replacement Messiah? They don't like how Jesus is working for them or they don't like certain parts of the Bible. You'll confront people with certain parts of the Bible. You know, Jesus said this, oh, I don't like that. Hey, folks, thanks for listening to Walk in Truth. And we'll be back to the message in just a moment. We've been doing a Sunday night service called 633. And in it, we've been looking at a subject called the dark dangers of the occult. The occult speaks of that which is hidden, secret, literally occluded, behind the veil. People are fascinated with these subjects. But God warned in both the Old and New Testament that the occult is something that is forbidden and even dangerous. We want you to have access to these resources to teach you more about the occult so you can tell people who are dabbling in it or messing with it about the hope and the love and the truth that's found in Jesus Christ. You can access this information at our website, walkintruth.com. And in our world, isn't it true that so many people, they want a replacement Messiah? They don't like how Jesus is working for them or they don't like certain parts of the Bible. You'll confront people with certain parts of the Bible. You know, Jesus said this, oh, I don't like that. Well, that's what he said. That's just as true as John 3, 16. If he claims to be the singular way to God, that's just as true as other verses that you seem to like. Oh, no, no, no. And they make a savior, get this, in their own image. A a different type of savior. But Jesus won't be molded into our images. We have to take him for who he is. There's nothing new under the sun, is there? And the multitude went up and began asking him to do as he had been accustomed to do for them. And Pilate answered them saying, do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? Now, Pilate's thinking, this is great. I have an opportunity to release this man. I know he's innocent. My wife has warned me not to have anything to do with this righteous man. Here's an opportunity of a lifetime. I know he's popular. He's been doing miracles. He's called the friend of tax gatherers and sinners. There's a rumor going around that he's raised this man who is dead four days in the tomb. Certainly. At the religious Passover, the people of Israel will release Jesus Christ, King of the Jews. But they weren't having any of it. The chief priests went around, and of course, they stirred up the crowd. And Pilate was aware of all that was going on. He knew that the chief priests had delivered Jesus up because of envy, verse 10. But the chief priests stirred up the multitude to ask him to release Barabbas for them instead. And answering again, Pilate was saying to them, then what shall I do with him you call king of the Jews? What shall I do with Jesus who is called the Christ, Matthew says? And they shouted back sadly, crucify him. But Pilate was saying to them, isn't it interesting, the Roman governor who's known as a pretty relentless, tough man is begging for Jesus' life. Why, what evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Crucify him. In a chilling parallel account, they shouted back, No, not him. Give us Barabbas. John 18, verse 40. And so now Jesus has been put in this position where he's going to be condemned. This was God's plan, of course, all along. And wishing, verse 15, to satisfy the multitude. Would you all mark that in your Bible? 
How many people have missed the opportunity of a lifetime? They have missed pleasing the Lord, standing for him in their generation because they wish to satisfy the multitude. So much in our society today, I don't have to tell you about political correctness, do I? About polls that are taken. You know, even on social media, we're all curious, right? It could be about our football team. It could be about a political issue. It could be about something spiritual. And we want to read people's comments, right? Oh, what does so-and-so say? Oh, they say, oh, he's mad at him. Oh, they're mad. (laughs) And we're worried about what the multitude thinks. And Pilate is now in eternity. And he did what he did to satisfy the multitude. Look, he had the veto power here. He could have said no, but he let the pressure and the words of those religious leaders make him fearful. Don't do things out of fear, brothers and sisters. If Jesus can take a stand here, then you can take a stand for him at work, in your family. You can do it by the power of Jesus Christ. And so they released Barabbas for them, and after after having Jesus scourged, He delivered him to be crucified. Now, I want to tell you that just reading about scourging doesn't tell you half the story. It was the most terrifying uh, punishment and thing that you could go through. What the Romans did is they took a couple of whips. They would have two soldiers that did this, and they would tie you up to a post so that you were taut or tight against it. Sometimes your feet would be dangling. Sometimes they would just throw you to the ground. And they would take what was called two scourgets or cat of nine tails or what's called in Latin the flagellum. And two soldiers would take them. They had a little wooden handle. At the end of the, oh, the, the ropes or straps that were attached to them, they had lead pieces of lead and bone. And they would begin to whip your back. And as they whipped you, the bone and lead would grab your flesh and begin to tear you apart. There's stories from Josephus and Eusebius that say that just victims of scourging alone, there was no minimum or maximum times you could be hit. It was pretty much up to the soldiers and the commander that was over them. Uh, people would just die on the spot. It would, I'm not, I don't want to gross you out too much, but you need to hear what happened to him. It opened up his flesh to such a degree that ancient writers say often the inner organs of people were exposed just from scourging alone. And Jesus was hit with that terrible flagellum after he'd already been slugged and punched and spit upon. Isaiah 52, 14 is now a little bit more clear when it says he was so disfigured that he was marred beyond human likeness. There is Jesus Pilate has placated the people. And here is Jesus now taking this terrible beating. He was beat pretty badly because we know that he needed help when he was carrying the cross. And the soldiers took him away into the palace, that is the praetorium 16. We're just going to go to verse 20. And they called together the whole Roman cohort. This is soldiers likely quartered as a detachment in this area, protecting Pilate, ready to respond to uprisings and A Roman cohort could be hundreds of soldiers, possibly 600 soldiers. Can you imagine if it were you? Can you imagine being beaten, bloodied, whipped by this terrible whip, and now having soldiers surround you as they enter into a game of mocking? You say, well, how could these guys be so evil? Look, they were war-torn soldiers. They were held up in this praetorium just waiting for the next uprising. For them, it was an opportunity to have a little bit of fun, and they had been listening in. They knew that people, uh, you know, he had been called the king of the Jews. They knew the back and forth, and so they decided to have some fun with Jesus, and they dressed him up in purple, 
and they wove a crown of thorns they, that they had put on him. Uh, those who have studied th- these kinds of things say the spikes come from a plant uh, that is known to have 12-inch spikes, and they, they didn't do it, to I don't think, to hurt him, but it did hear, hurt him as they drove the crown of thorns into his head. He's probably bleeding profusely from his head. His body's been opened up. He's been slugged in the face over and over and over again. And they began to acclaim him. They said, Hail, King of the Jews. The, the Romans had a way of greeting Caesar. They would say, Ave, Ave Caesar. It's almost like if you've seen in the movie, Heil Hitler. That's what they would do for the Caesar. They would say, Hail, and they would often walk by the Caesar. Hail, or they, or they would salute. And so what they're doing is they're doing a mock coronation of this so-called king. The Bible tells us they put the crown of the thorns on his head. They mocked him. They kept beating him in the head. Some of the gospel writers said they took the mock scepter out of his hand and beat him in the head with it and then put it back in his hand. They took the reed. They spit at him, spit in his face. And as they passed 19, they kneeled and they bowed before him. And they said, Hail, King of the Jews, Hail! There's other gospel writers that seem to indicate that again and again, they would, some would slug him, some would hit him with the stick. And he's standing there for you and for me, bleeding. I don't even know how he stood anymore. How did he stand there? How did he take all of these blows? Why would he do this? 1 John 3.16 says these words. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, so we ought to lay down our lives for one another. Can I ask you a question? You know, I know, I know we all have problems in this room, right? I know we have our, our crosses with quotes around them. But when you see the suffering of Jesus Christ, the next time you want to complain about something, the next time, you know, it's hard to let somebody into traffic, the next time maybe you have a little ache and pain or whatever it might be, you might want to rethink and take another look at this scene. This is what Jesus went through for you. And he hasn't even been crucified yet. This is amazing love. And this is a, a man, the God-man, who is willing to go through this because he so loved you that he gave up his life. Writers say that when they passed Jesus by, they were in essence saying, your kingliness is a joke. We spit on you as a king. Isaac Watts puts it well when he says, did ever such love and sorrow meet or thorns compose so rich a crown? Finally, the Bible tells us that Pilate had him scourged because he thought maybe it would bring some sympathy from the crowd. Remember, he's still trying to get out of this. So he had him scourged as a punishment, I think John's gospel says, and he presented Jesus before the people. Now remember, he's marred beyond even recognition as a human. And he said, behold, the man. And he was expecting a pitiful response. But there would be no mercy on this day. No pity on this day. And Jesus would be led away to be crucified. Pilate, in essence, was saying, take a good look. Take a hard look. Do you have any pity? And I think it's always important for us to revisit the cross, to take a hard look at God's love for us. And after they had mocked him, final verse, they took the purple off of him, the robe, they put his garments on him, and they led him out to crucify him. He would go now on the way of sorrows, the Via Dolorosa. 
Why the cross? Because we're reconciled by the blood of the cross. Reconciled back to God, we now have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Why the cross? Because we're sinners. And sin must be atoned for. And it wasn't possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sin. That's why he died on the cross for you. And he says, when you're going through your life and you're having difficulty, remember that Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the cross. He despised the shame. He has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He's for you. He understands when you're suffering. He understands when you go through loss and difficulty. You know, we're not going to get all the answers this side of heaven, but I'll tell you this. We have a Savior who knows pain. We have a Savior who knows betrayal. And the Bible says, Consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself so that you may not grow weary and lose heart. Father, thank you again for your word. It's a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. It is sometimes very sobering and very hard to take. But we know that this scene is over. Jesus will never go through this again. We revisit it to learn. We revisit it to remember. But you're alive. Three days later, Sunday came. (laughs) And you rose from the dead, Lord. And you're triumphant over sin and death. And you are at the right hand of God, cheering us on. Help us to keep running, to keep walking, to keep taking our stands. We lift up our brothers and sisters in other churches and countries that may be going through a lot of difficult situations, Lord. We know people in our own sphere who may be facing their own crosses. May you, may your everlasting pierced arms hold them up so that they might make it through. If you're here and you have not met Jesus, keep your heart and head bowed. If you died tonight, do you know you'd be in heaven? Make sure. It takes a moment. You know, the price has been paid. You can't add to it. You just have to receive it. And it's something like this. And if it's you, and you're not sure where you're headed, make sure. Something like this. Jesus prayed, if it's you, come into my life. Thank you that you went to that cross for me. Thank you that you love me that much. Forgive me of my sins and failures. Forgive me for taking my own path and ignoring your ways of getting my attention. I repent of my sin and I receive you as my Lord and Savior. Don't wait, my friend. Pray it now. I believe you died on that cross for me. I believe you rose from the dead. And I trust my life to you, my soul. Help me to follow you all the days of my life. You need to rededicate your life Now would be the time I think God will give you the words. And for all the precious saints that are here, may this reminder cheer you on to love and to good deeds. I pray all of this in Jesus' holy name. And all God's people said, amen. Hey folks, this is Pastor Michael, and I appreciate you listening to today's message. I want to tell you about the store at walkintruth.com. On the store, we have a brand new teaching up. It's on the occult. It's called The Dark Dangers of the Occult. And we have taught on the subject of demon possession. And we also have taught on the subject of Wicca or witchcraft. And there's more to come. And you need to know about this subject. You need to know what's going on with the occult, what the Bible says about it. It warns about it being forbidden. It warns that you should not mess with it. 
But there's also something else. We need to reach out to people in love with the truth of Jesus who've gotten involved in the occult. You can have access to this information, these resources to learn more and to become a more effective ambassador for Christ. It's all available at the Walk in Truth store at walkintruth.com. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth. Pastor Michael would love to hear from you. You can write him when you visit walkintruth.com. Dot com.